Hello everybody, this is Abby Alcox with Badgerland Journal, back at it again with another episode. And today, we are returning to the good old trusty shipwrecks of the Great Lakes. You know, we've done like the Edmund Fitzgerald, I think that was our last one back in November. So you know, it's been a little bit since I've done a shipwreck. I'm getting better at spacing them out. For a while there, I think I was doing a lot of shipwrecks. But you know, can you blame me? Wisconsin is near two Great Lakes, or is connected to two Great Lakes, both of which can be dangerous to sail. But we're going to go way, 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 way back and talk about the first major shipwreck on the Great Lakes, which has a little bit of mystery in it, a little bit of treasure hunting, a little bit theories, because this shipwreck has still yet to be found, despite being the oldest. So we're going to get into that today, but, you know, first we're going to go over some of the background, you know, who built it, why was it built, why was it in Wisconsin, when was it built, all the fun questions, who, what, where, when, why. Anyways, so we are going to be talking about the Griffin. And the Griffin was built by René Robert Cavalier Sieur de Lesalle. I probably did not say that accurately to the French name that it is. But, you know, we're going with it. Most people just refer to this man as LaSalle. And he is one of the kind of French explorers that come to the New World, specifically Wisconsin. And, well, he isn't the first. Jean Nicolet is the one that comes to Wisconsin. I'll have to do an episode on him. But he is kind of in this group of French explorers who are coming to the New World, and he claims a lot of territory for France. But he wants a passage from the Northwest to Asia, specifically China and Japan. And that's kind of his mission. I think that's kind of hard to do. You know, there's a whole continent in there, multiple continents. But anyway, so he's trying to find the most kind of expedient passage to expand trade, um, specifically the fur trade, which was huge in Wisconsin. We've touched on that a little bit before. I think in our Christmas episode, we talked about the fur trade a bit. Um, but so he's basically find the most expedient passage, but then also make money. He also would go on to explore the Mississippi River. Um, unfortunately, LaSalle will eventually be killed after the Griffin sinks. He is, so he's, okay, so what he's known for is going down the Mississippi and pretty much claiming all of the land that he can see. And, well, first of all, think about that, that, you know, this kind of guy's a little bit of presumptuous, like, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. Let's ignore that there were, like, actual people living on this land and using it prior to your existence, but you just come in and, like, no payment, no nothing, just, it's mine. But all of this land would turn into the Louisiana Purchase, because we're going down the Mississippi, and he's claiming anything he can see in sight. And so that's why LaSalle is kind of important to U.S. history. Because as we know, Thomas Jefferson will then buy the Louisiana Purchase for the United States. And it makes up... Oh, I don't know if you guys heard that. Carl Arm just went off. We're good. Anyway, 
So Thomas Jefferson will buy the Louisiana Purchase. And part of that will be Wisconsin. And if you listen, this is a great connection. Go listen to my last episode on Wisconsin borders to learn how the Louisiana Purchase turned into the Northwest Territory that turned into a bunch of other territories. And basically, Wisconsin got robbed. That, that's the moral of the story. We should have the UP. Take the UP back. Woo! Anyways, so on his expedition all the way to the Mississippi, he then was exploring the Gulf, I believe, a little bit. And he was in Texas. The ship got uh, grounded. And so then LaSalle ends up getting killed by his own soldiers who, like, mutinied off the coast of Texas. Um, so his life was full of kind of misfortunes. I'm not going to lie. He was important. He, he took the Louisiana Purchase. Or not, yeah, took it. Um, but he did not have great, great luck with, uh, ships, TBH. Because prior to the Griffin, so there is, so the Griffin is known as the first major shipwreck. And according to a website that I found, which may not be reliable, um, the... Frontenac was actually the first ship to sink in the Great Lakes. It was nowhere near the size of the Griffin. This seemed like it was a much smaller sailing ship. Um, and it was still built by LaSalle. So his first ship sunk in January 9th, 1679. So we're going way back. Most of our shipwrecks have been either in the... 19th or the 20th century, I would say, that I've covered. Unless you count my Death Star one. My Death Star one was a little bit, I guess, because there was the the legend of either the Potawatomis or the Winnebago's being wiped out. But major shipwrecks that I've covered have been way, way, way later. So this ship, I, think, I don't know if I mentioned it, it sunk in Lake Ontario. So possibly Possibly the Griffin is the first major shipwreck in Lake Michigan, but we don't even actually know that. And we'll talk about that, because as I said, we have no idea where the ship is. But whether or not the Griffin was the first is irrelevant, because it is more important. That is because it is the first full-sized sailing ship to come onto the upper Great Lakes. And it signaled the beginning of commercial shipping in the region of the north of of the Great Lakes. So when I say it's the full, first full-sized ship, I'm saying like the ships like the Mayflower, ships that are being used to come from Europe to North America, that is the size of this ship on the Great Lakes. Not that this is surprising. The Great Lakes are huge and could justify such a large ship. But this is the first time it was kind of coming over to Lake Michigan, Lake Superior, or Lake Huron. Um, because obviously I think Lake Erie maybe had more trade going on just because that's near New York. Um, but it was built and launched at the Cayuga Creek on the Niagara River. So it was built over in New York. And the ship included seven cannons. And those cannons We'll come back later. So prior to the completion of the Griffin, so it's kind of being built, and LaSalle then sent out 15 canoes to start trading in the spring of 1679. So for perspective, the first ship that he built sank 
in January, so it's spring. He's like, all right, gotta build a new ship. Gotta, gotta get it on the water. Go send people ahead to start collecting these furs so then when the griffin comes, they can just load it up and go. And so this started as soon as ice began to break on Lake Erie and you could travel by canoe. And as I mentioned, it was built in similar fashions to ships that were used to navigate the Atlantic Ocean. So again, the ocean between North America and Europe. And the interesting thing is we actually don't know the exact plans for how this was built or how it was constructed. Um, none of that was recorded. And it sounds like this wasn't necessarily like professionally done. It's just like, I don't know, it, it kind of gets confusing in the records because Unlike today, people didn't write things down as much, or things were lost. Um, but sounds like it might have been like amateur shipbuilding a little bit, which actually doesn't really come into this. Other than there wasn't exact uh, instructions followed, records, whatnot. So if you go online, there is a print showing the griffin. Like, so somebody sketched out what the griffin supposedly looked like, and it has a two-mast vessel. So, like, the idea they got, like, the sails up there, you got two masts going on. But others think that she may have been actually single-masted. And again, we have no way to prove one way or another, because there are no records about what this ship actually looked like. Woohoo! It's gonna make it hard to find. And then it was named the griffin in honor of Count Frontenac, which is the same, I'm probably mispronouncing that, but it's the same name as the first ship, who was governor of North America and France. So clearly, LaSalle was trying to suck up to this dude. He's naming multiple ships after him. You know, first his actual name, and then he's like, I will take your coat of arms, because that's what Frontenac's uh, coat of arms was, was a griffin, which is a part lion, part eagle, you know. That, that's the only real connection. <laughs> anyway, so this is the Griffin. So its maiden voyage starts August 7th, 1679. So that summer, it's set to sail. And it goes through Lake Erie to Huron and then stopping in Lake Michigan. Originally, this had a crew of 32 men on the ship. So then they get to to Wisconsin, to the Great Lakes, and they anchor down. The ship is then loaded with 12,000 pounds of fur that has been gathered and traded um, with the local Potawatomis at this time. And it's important to know that LaSalle is apparently very much in debt at this point, and so the money made from these furs is supposed to pay all of his debts off. Fun fact, they do not pay all of his debts off. Um, so they're loaded up. The griffin is... I don't know I don't know how much, again, because we don't know anything. Because I know I was talking um, with my parents about this. Of a lot of the shipwrecks that happen are either overloaded so they're kind of laying lower in the water because there's more weight and then like all it takes is a bad storm and they sink or they're like completely underweight they're empty and then they can get blown around by the winds again see previous shipwreck episodes to further that discussion 
But because we don't really know much about the griffin, we don't really know if this was, like, overloaded for what it was capable of, or if this was just, like, a bad, bad shipwreck. Anyways. So, LaSalle, because if you noticed, I didn't say, LaSalle, his end came on the griffin when it sank. And that's because LaSalle was not on the griffin on the return trip to New York. So he's going to try and pay off these debts, loads it up, sends it to New York, hopes it makes a bunch of money. But then LaSalle's like, I'm going to stay back and we're going to canoe around Lake Michigan and explore this area more. Because remember, he's trying to claim anything he can see for France. So supposedly the ship kind of rode out a storm, so it stayed. So the return trip was supposed to start the 12th of September. I'm unsure of where necessarily they docked, if they docked more by like Green Bay or on the peninsula, but I do know that the four days, I do know that the four days that it rode out the storm, it did so on an island at the tip of the Dora Peninsula. I don't know if it was named Dora at that time. But it either had kind of docked at either Washington or on Rock Island, on the northern part of the island. Um, my dad seems to think that it's definitely Rock Island. Uh, I didn't see anything definitive. Some of them said Washington Island. Some of them said it was either of them. So again, not greatly documented. <laughs> um, so it rode out the storm. And then on September 18th is when it sailed back to New York. So it was going to follow the same path, you know, from Michigan to Huron to Lake Erie into New York. And so when it set sail on September 18th, it was never seen again. So it took off, and then we have no idea when when it sank. We do know it never arrived in New York. So uh, there's not really any, we don't know. We don't know where it kind of went to. Although I'd imagine if it gotten far enough, somebody would have seen it on the water. You know... Which is why I think that everyone kind of focuses on Lake Michigan, because if it had gotten to Lake Erie, or Lake Erie, did I say Erie? Huron. If it had gotten to Lake Huron, guys, it's early in the morning, I'm recording this, like, at 7 in the morning, the day of. So when this gets published, no, this is fresh thoughts from Abby. But anyways, I feel like if it had been on the lakes, then there would have been some witnesses, either from... Native Americans in the area or other explorers who are in the region seeing this on the lake. Because obviously this is a big ship. But what do I know? Nothing. I'm not an expert. I'll tell you about some experts momentarily. <laughs> so, like I said, LaSalle was not on the ship. It was, oh, this is like out of order. But apparently there's a single gunshot to like part it. And the cargo that was never seen again was valued at between 50,000 to 60,000 francs at the time, which was the equivalent to 10,000 to $12,000 American dollars, which doesn't make sense. Anyways, because I'm sure that number has greatly increased uh, since then, but American dollars did not exist in 1679. So I have questions for whoever wrote that article. Um, but it also carried another ship that LaSalle was going to build. This one intended to find a passage to the West Indies. 
So that one went down with the ship. So we got about thousands of dollars worth of furs, thousands of pounds of fur, a ship, and all of LaSalle's hope of paying off of his debts. And so it is only in November when LaSalle realizes that the ship never made it to New York. Because again, think about these trips, you know, the... In the Griffin left New York in August and doesn't arrive in Wisconsin until September. So it's at least a month's journey. And, you know, people stopping, whatever, especially if there's storms. So he doesn't really think anything of it until it's like two months later and they still haven't heard anything. He's like, okay, this is kind of getting ridiculous. And remember, you don't have any like telegraph, you don't have phones. You know, even the mail system isn't doing so hot. You know, you literally have to get on a ship, sail to where the person is, give them the message. So it took a while to realize that the Griffin never made it. So it disappeared sometime between September and November in 1679. Yeah. So at the time, so there were a couple of different theories of what had happened to the ship. And it kind of goes from fur traders caused the shipwreck, Jesuits, the Ottawas or Potawatomis. Um, LaSalle thought the entire crew just mutinied and stole the ship. And so we'll get into that. So the theory with the Ottawas and the Potawatomis was that they were hostile towards the explorers and therefore they overtook the crew and burned the ship with the goods on it to send a message like you're not welcome here. Which seems odd, considering the Potawatomi gave them the furs. That'd be some, like, conspiracy stuff right there. Of, here, we're gonna sell you these furs, but we're gonna then take over your ship and burn them. Um, granted, it could have been, like, a different band of the Potawatomis, uh, but seems kind of unlikely. There's also rumors that some sort of local prophet came and cursed the ship. Um, possibly cursed LaSalle, because like I said, he has a bad history of ship sinking or mutiny, or he's just not doing so hot. There's also rumors that it was ransacked by rival traders, so different fur traders, or Jesuits. I'm still unclear why the Jesuits would want to do that, because I think a lot of the Jesuits were French, so why the French would attack the French, I don't know. They don't really, they don't justify their theories very well. But the most likely theory was that it got sunk in a storm. We know there was a storm just prior to it taking off, and that's why it was docked on Washington or Rock Island for a period of time. It's likely that just another storm had come in and damaged the ship. And this was believed specifically by Father Louis Hennepin, who was on the ship initially. So he was on the Griffin from New York to Wisconsin. And Native Americans also claimed to have found a hatch cover and pelts with other debris the following spring. So it washed up and they had found evidence of it. Um, but, and this goes to supporting LaSalle's theory of um, a mutiny occurring, there are other reports that a Frenchman who was visiting a nearby Native American group had uh, pelts and explosives with him. And this matched the description of Captain, guys, I can't speak today, Captain Luke the Dane. 
And this led LaSalle to believe the ship had been sabotaged. So he had, you know, convinced his crew to burn the ship, taking off with all of the valuables, including the furs. So LaSalle spent the rest of his life salty, thinking he'd been betrayed, more likely, as is many of the shipwrecks. I don't think I've covered a shipwreck yet that was actually sabotaged. The waters of Lake Michigan are just that dangerous that you don't really need to sabotage. Um, but anyways, yeah, and to give you some kind of specifics on this, 6,000 to 24,000 shipwrecks are believed to be in the Great Lakes. So this is covering Lake Superior, Lake Huron, Lake Erie, Lake Ontario. So all of these lakes, somewhere between six to 24,000, that is a large margin of error. But that's a lot of ships. And part of that is like, sometimes like when a ship was done, they just like let it on fire and let it sink to the bottoms of the waters. So uh, there's a lot of debris. And so this kind of leads to a lot of people, anytime they find a shipwreck going, I found the griffin! Um, from perspective, there have been over 30 discoveries of the griffin since the 1800s. And like I said, pretty much any and every shipwreck can be claimed as the griffin once it's found. From 2002 to 2017 alone, so this is less than a 17-year span, 15 years actually, 17 claims of the griffin were investigated. Only two were actual ships. So sometimes you don't even have to have an actual shipwreck for someone to claim it being the griffin. You just need debris in the water, like a barn door or something. But we're going to talk about some of the more convincing claims of the griffin. And as I want to note, none of these have actually been confirmed. So you can believe what you want. I have my own theories. <laughs> Maybe. Anyways, so the first one and the most popular comes from the Liberts. So Steve and Kathy Libert, um, who I believe they were from Michigan and then they moved to DC and now they're back in Michigan. Or maybe it was Ohio. I don't remember. But anyways, they they currently live in Michigan. <laughs> Claim to have found the Griffin. And they have spent over 40 years searching for the ship. And so they, you know, pretty much studied everything. French explorers, like accounts from French explorers, from missionaries, um, what Native Americans told them about the ship going down. And they believe this wreck is off of Poverty Island. And Poverty Island is kind of a, on a chain of islands, the southern chain of islands coming off of the UP. So if you, like, go to the Door Peninsula... And go up, there's like Rock Island and then like St. Martin's Island, and then Poverty Island's kind of northwest of St. Martin's Islands. And so they believe they found a wreck there. Initially, this piqued their interest when Steve was kind of uh, scuba diving near a wreck in October 2001 near Poverty Island, and he kind of literally bumped into what he has found. Um, and there is some legitimacy to his claims because French archaeologists have actually come to visit the site and believe that there is merit to their claims. They're not claiming this is the griffin, but the French are like, this is something that should kind of uh, be investigated. 
And the fun fact is, archaeologists, those French archaeologists, have claimed the site for France if proven correct. Because due to, like, international law, I believe if your ship is sunk in water, you still have rights to the shipwreck or something. Something like that. So there's even, like, a custody claim of if the griffin is found, does it belong to the state who's, like, Lake Michigan is part of their territory because yes there are parts of lake michigan that you're like you're wisconsin's and you're michigan's or is it france's or is it the federal government's property um lots of questions it's definitely not whoever finds it which does not seem to be an issue for the liberts anyways so they hope so here's the thing is they have found like a bow spear which is kind of, I believe, the part, I don't know, I'm not great at ships, but basically it's a piece of the ship, like part of the mast, I believe. So they haven't found the entire ship, so they're still hoping to find one of the cannons off of the ship, because those would have been um, marked with the griffin, or some sort of French marking. So they're, like, hoping to find that to verify or like without a shadow of doubt being like this is the griffin and i believe there's also like markings on the wood that they believed had um the year like roman numerals for the year on it that would have been accurate to the griffin and so how they kind of got started on this journey steve became interested in junior high, apparently a teacher was telling them about a griffin, and he goes, who knows, maybe one of you will find the griffin someday. And that's exactly when he put a hand on Steve's shoulder, and it was sealed. Steve was going to find the griffin. And he's made it his lifelong mission. So they've done deep dives into Lake Michigan, and kind of looking at these different shipwrecks, although they both have agreed that they are not going to take anything from the shipwrecks. They just want to prove what's going on. And so they are pretty certain. They've written a book. I believe it's um, Le Griffin. The, it's the Le Griffin and the Huron Islands or something, which I think is the chain of islands that Poverty Island is connected to. So they've written a book on it. I did not read it. Full disclosure, did not read a book for this podcast. Um, but if you guys are interested, you should definitely check out their book. Let me know if you read it and if there's anything interesting about it. Um, any revealing information, things that you're like, Abby, of course, this is the Griffin. They proved it to me in this book. And so the Michigan DNR is less than convinced that this is the shipwreck that they are looking for. They actually believe it to be a schooner or a schooner barge um, of the 19th century, and that the wreck has already been visited by state authorities, and it's a known site. So they're going, no, this is not the Griffin. We know what this is. Um, the Great Lakes the Great Lakes Shipwreck Historical Society also has questions about the claims. They do not believe that the Liberts are correct. And there was some... So they actually did date the Bowsprit. Sprit? Bowsprit. Somebody who knows ships, let me know what I'm talking about. 
Um, they did date it, like carbon date it, and it was accurate to the time. So before you get on me and be like, what? It was dated to the time of the Griffin, and there was no other major ships at this time. So, like, it has to be, right? It has to be the ship. Well, wait, because there is possible theories to explain all of that away. And that is because um, skeptics believe that this bow spirit is actually a Native American fishing trap that was left in the water. So it could have been correctly dated, you know, to that time period. But it's not actually part of a ship. So that's kind of skeptics' response. There are many who just believe that an unbiased investigation into the site needs to be conducted. So somebody who doesn't have an agenda, because I guess that's the thing with the Liberts, is I think that they are using historical context, because they do use primary source documents to justify why they think it's in this area. They're very careful and meticulous, but like there's always going to be a bit of a confirmation bias when you are so invested in finding the shipwreck you know you want to believe it is the shipwreck which i do think is like a mark in there they're, they're kind of negate them not that that means they're wrong but you have to look at it skeptically and so there's others who are like yeah obviously like michigan has their own like motivation the liberts have their own so like somebody needs to come in and like do a thorough investigation that's unbiased that isn't just saying like no because I do believe the Liberts have made claims before, and that kind of takes away a little bit of your credibility. But it also makes sense, like, if you're trying to find different locations that you may kind of trial and error be like, well, maybe it wasn't here, like, let's try here. So like I said, I'm not disbelieving, but I do think there needs to be a little bit of skepticism. Um... There's also many who believe that if it had sunk off of Poverty Island, then the Griffin would have been destroyed by now because it's pretty shallow waters over by Poverty Island, which means it would have been exposed to storms and ice over, over the past three centuries. So that means that storms would have kind of crushed it against the reefs and other kind of ground and then icing, and then kind of, because we see what ice does to roads, you know, freeze and then unfreeze, and it just breaks apart the wood. They're saying if the griffin still exists, it would have to be in, like, deeper water where it'd be untouched from storms and ice, which is also why the Liberts are looking for the cannons, because the cannons wouldn't get destroyed the same way that wood would deteriorate. deteriorate. And as I said, there's actually some legal battles going on. The state of Michigan is attempting to block the Lieberts from diving onto shipwrecks because states do have the right to protect them. Um, but then the French government also has kind of legal rights as well. And so when they heard that this is possibly the Griffin, they went to court for the Lieberts saying like, hey, they should be able to like check this out. And that's when they sent those archaeologists. Um, and he was given a six-day permit, but the state of Michigan is not a friend to the Liberts. They kind of have been blocking a lot of this. And as I mentioned, the French report said the beam and size was consistent with the French bow spirits of the era. So they're saying, 
yeah, what you have found is consistent with what, you know, this Bosbert on a ship of the Griffin size would look like. They would not make any further conclusions, though. So it's kind of like they're like, it's possible. We're not saying that it's incorrect, but we're not going to stake our claim that this is the Griffin. And like I said, law gives archaeological rights to the state, which makes to the state which the shipwreck resides. However, international standards also make it France's property. So once the Griffin is found, if the Griffin is found, there may be some legal battles going on of who gets to claim it. Although, like, I don't know how much good it's going to do France. Like, I guess other than to control who can touch it, you have to, like, go and get permission and stuff like that. Like, if the state of Michigan wanted to do a dive on a site that is confirmed to be the Griffin, they would probably have to go to them to get permission to do the dive or do investigations. So, they are not the only people who have a theory about the Griffin. So, Joan Forsberg and Chris Cole, who also wrote a book, so again, if you're interested in this, um, I believe that one's just The Wreck of the Griffin. And theirs actually covers more theories, but they put forth their own theory as well. And they believe it's actually, the Griffin made it as far as Lake Huron, near the Canadian side of the lake, before it went down. And this is because in the 1890s, a lighthouse keeper named Albert Cullis was on Manitoulin, Manitoulin, yeah, island in Ontario. And he found a metal chain along with three metal tokens marked with a 17th century date. And so he started kind of exploring around the area and he found two different caves that had a total of six skeletons, one with a very large head. And this is important to note because Luke, who was the captain, was supposed to be like seven feet tall. So the fact that one of the skeletons was like a giant, they're like, this has to be the shipwreck of the, the griffin, or it needs to be nearby. And this is possibly the crew. And so they did find a bolt. So they so further investigation, they did find a shipwreck, including a bolt, which was sent to the Louvre in France to be tested. And it came back inconclusive, but it seemed somewhat consistent with French shipbuilding at the time. And so if they are correct, then the Griffin ended up making it much farther than Poverty Island. And again, likely the storm was damaged in some sort of a storm as it blew through the Straits of Mackinac and it got broken up into the reef. Then they believe that the four members of the crew that were originally set in a cave were either dead or dying. So they're, the two other guys set them down in the cave, got them out of the water, and then moved on only to die in a, the other cave. Which I don't even know how you know which one died first. Like, how do you know the two guys didn't die in the cave? Maybe it's like further from the shipwreck, probably that. But that the first two didn't die and then the four moved on. You know, everything's speculation. This is all just fun stories. So, France believes that this is not actually the wreckage of the Griffin. 
further investigation, they're like, no, we believe this is a older, or not an older, a newer vessel than the Griffin. But someone did point out, if it isn't the Griffin, it would be an exciting discovery because another 17th century vessel was in the area and was not recorded. And I think that goes for, like, all of these. You know, it's always interesting to find a shipwreck, if it truly is a shipwreck. And it's kind of trying to put the pieces together of, like, what ship was this? Who may it have belonged to? Especially when you get to earlier centuries when ships were a lot less common. Obviously, once you get into the 18th century, there's a lot of ships going on. Um, but those who are skeptical about this claim also point out that Luke was actually not gigantic. Um, they had LaSalle made some sort of report commenting on his short legs or something like that. So they're like, he wasn't actually giant. This has just been an urban legend. Um... But yeah, some say the technology used on that bolt would not have been used during the 17th century. It would have been later technology. So other theories, there's many historians that, as I mentioned, either believe that the griffin has been destroyed or that it's likely between Beaver, Beaver Island and the southern part of the UP. So as I mentioned earlier, having deep being placed in deep water would, would protect it from storms and ice and all of that. So, yeah, that those are kind of the main theories that I found in my research of the Griffin. And I personally think of the two stories, I do like the idea that they were shipwrecked off of Canada and that you know, you find bodies and there's like a little bit more story. It feels very treasure hunty, but it sounds like that probably isn't the shipwreck. I'm also kind of questioning the Libert's claim, and there's a chance you may never find the Griffin, because as I said, it might be destroyed. But one thing is for sure, people are still going to search for this. <laughs> so until they find the cannons or some sort of record, there will always be people looking for the Griffin, making claims, um, and it makes for a great story. And the Griffin is very well known. Um, I know I was like up on Washington Island, and my dad was telling me about the Griffin, and he like gave me very little. And then I was in the ferry center for Washington Island, so the Washington Island ferry, and there was a picture of a boat named the Griffin, and I took a picture. I was like, Dad, look at this. No, it's it's the griffin. He's like, um, no, the the griffin would have been a lot larger, and this is like looked like a fishing boat. Um, he's like, that's that's not the griffin. It was probably named after the griffin. It's a very well known name on the Great Lakes. But yeah, so that is the story of the first major shipwreck in the Great Lakes, and the continued mystery of what happened to it. You know, where did it sink? Why did it sink? Um, but yeah. So let me know what you guys think by checking out our social media at Badgerland Journal for Facebook and Instagram or send us an email at badgerlandjournal at gmail.com. And, you know, if you guys really like this podcast, it would be great if you guys would, you know, rate this on whatever platform you're listening to, send it to a friend, recommend us, help me grow my podcast. It would be great. But yeah, 
And then stay tuned because in the next few weeks I should have another interview, this time talking about breweries in Milwaukee. So keep an eye out for that. And I think at some point we're going to do one on the Peshtigo fire. I actually got some lineup going, you know, I know it was inconsistent during the year, but what were we getting there? But anyways, until next time, keep it cheesy. Thank you.